All right, well, I want to echo what everyone's already said, that it is good to be here. appreciate uh, the prayer that William led. Um, it's always good to be mindful of the blessings that we have amongst ourselves, but also the people that we need to be thinking about. And we do have several people that we need to be considering and praying for. It's going to be part of our thoughts so that that way we're spurred on to talk to God about them. And also that we might actually reach out to them. Uh, like we mentioned James and you mentioned uh, Vadim and Michelle and there are others. And are just really thankful uh, for the prayer. Uh, we do have a few people that are visiting for the first time and that's really good. Uh, thankful for them. And uh, got some people that are pretty regular visitors as well. So um, we're just grateful for, for everyone, whether you are new, whether you're old, I don't mean age, but uh, whether you feel like you fit in or whether you feel like you don't, uh, you, I think you'll find that you do fit in here. Um, I want to talk about something today that I think is pretty important, and it's been something that I've thought about for several weeks, and that doesn't mean that this is going to be a complete lesson and that it's going to be, oh, this is all-encompassing, but it, it's my thoughts, so um, I hope that they'll be helpful. And I want to talk about making decisions today. So... I thought about taking the approach of, I just want to talk about spirit-led decisions. And I thought about, well, that, that sounds kind of, I mean, that's what, we, that's what the goal is going to be. That's going to be one of the main points. But really, I want to talk about just what, what are good decisions uh, that disciples need to make. And, and not just good decisions that we need to make, but what does it look like to make good decisions <clears throat> as, as disciples? That's what we want to be. We, we want to be dis- disciples of Jesus we want to be followers, we want to be learners, we want to be people that sit at his feet. But then it comes a time where we have to make our own decisions, right? And what, what informs those decisions? And how do we know if they're good or bad? And how can we make sure that we keep on making good, good decisions? That as our discerning and decision-making uh, progresses in our life, that we just prove that we are a disciple of Christ. What we're not going to focus on is... Uh, whether or not we have the ability to make decisions. Basically, we're not going to talk about free will today. We're, we're going to be working under the assumption that, that we're on the same page, that we have free will, that we can make decisions. Um, I think it's kind of funny that even in our, even in just in common discussions and, and talk, I think we all know that we, we have free will to make decisions. Like, for instance, if I were to say, so glad you decided to be here with us today, even if you didn't believe in free will, I pretty much guarantee you would say, I'm glad I did too. Ah, so you decided to come here, right? Um, we know that we have some sort of free will, even if like it doesn't fit into a certain doctrine that we really want to believe in. When you really boil it down, it's hard to just say there is no free will. We're not going to talk about that. I shouldn't have even been talking about it for the last two minutes. <laughs> so we're working under the assumption that we have the ability to choose and make decisions because I really think that's what the Bible clearly shows. I want to start out with just a few questions just to get our minds in the right in the right state and maybe to kind of help you think the way I think a little bit. Do you have a decision-making process right now? Do you have a process with how you make decisions? And what does that look like? How do you know that a decision was the, quote, right one? Does a less-than-ideal outcome make you think that you made a wrong decision? What should be the mindset of a disciple to make good decisions? And just because you made one decision one time, does that mean you need to make the same decision the next time? I think we, we might have different ways of thinking through that. First, just this is what, to help answer some of those questions, this is what 
we should not do. This is not the mindset of a disciple when it comes to making decisions. Good outcomes prove good decisions. That's not necessarily true. Uh, it also depends on how you determine what a good outcome is, right? Mm-hmm. The way you gauge what an outcome is and if it's good or bad, if it's better for you or worse for you, that's going to kind of dictate also how you determined was that decision the right one. So for instance, if, if you are thinking about how can I make the most money in this life? Like how can I just make the most money? Not just in this life. Let's say I got to make the most money by September 24th. I don't know what today is. Uh, sept- I, that's just a couple of days away though. <laughs> I got to make the most money I can by September 20th. It's two days away, yeah. So you got two days. You got to make the most money you can. Every decision that you make from now until September 24th is going to be based on that. So the good outcome is going to be based on that end. But that could lead you down a path that will be terrible. Like you could, you could sell a lot of things that you shouldn't sell. You could devote a lot of time to things you shouldn't devote to. You could, you could sell yourself in some ways. Um, there are a lot of other examples that we can give, but good outcomes don't necessarily prove good decisions because it really is based on what you determine is a good outcome and where your heart is and where your mind is. Um, also, what we've always done does not determine future decisions. It can't do that. Not necessarily, at least. Like, if, if we know that something is good and we know something is true, and we'll talk about what that means in a second, but if we know that and then that's what we've done and then we kind of analyze a situation and we see it's the same exact thing, well then, okay, maybe that decision is the same. But if factors change, then that changes our decision potentially. And the last thing is what others think or how they judge your decision does not make it good or wise. Not inherently. Just because it's a popular opinion doesn't mean that it was a good decision. And just because other people deem it wise doesn't mean it was. We know people in the Bible who they did what other people did, thought they should do, and it was not good. And it was not a wise decision at all. We studied Job several months ago. I feel like we've all, we all keep bringing up things from Job because we spent so long in that, which was great. But if he had followed the opinion of his closest people, what would he have determined? Well, first of all, he would have determined, God hates me. He would have also determined, I sinned, I need to make this right, and he would have wound up cursing God and dying if he had followed the opinion of those that were closest to him. So what others think or how they judge your decisions don't necessarily make it good or wise. That also doesn't mean that, okay, I'm going to be the only one that thinks that this is a good decision, and it is, when everyone else says it's a dumb decision. That, you can't, you can't say, well, I'm going to go to the opposite, and that's a good decision. That's not necessarily true either. The first point I just want to bring out is going to be from Psalm, uh, excuse me, not Psalm, Proverbs chapter 3. If you want to turn to Proverbs 3, our reading was from, was from Psalm 19, and I'll reference a couple of things from that. But we're going to start in Proverbs 3. The first point I just want to make is that you can't trust yourself or your world to determine the right or best decision. And we're going to look at three different places in Proverbs where I think that this becomes very clear. So let's go ahead and start in Proverbs 3, and let's read verses 1 through 12. The writer says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. 
Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. My son, do not despise the Lord's dis- uh, discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. What are some things we can learn from this to help us to shape our decision-making process? First, I just want to point out that uh, when he says that there is this connection of life and peace, just keep that in mind. That's going to come up in a little bit. Where he says in verse 2, length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. He's talking about the idea of like you need to uh, have in your heart and have in your mind the, the teaching and understanding and commandments that are from above. Now he says, my son. So he's speaking as a father, right? But the father has passed down the teachings that are from his father. And so he can trust these things are true. And they're going to lead to things. They're going to lead life and peace. That's going to come up in a little bit. First, I just want to point out in verse 5, that we need to trust the Lord with all our heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. So we need to trust in the Lord versus leaning on our own understanding. The, I read that the, the idea of trust is to rest all your weight on, and the lean is to put some of your weight on. So put all of your weight on the Lord, and don't even put a little bit of weight on yourself. There's a song that I, I remember my mom uh, said that she loved the song, and um, I never really liked it until she told me that she really liked the song. And it was All of Self and None of Thee. And it just walks through this uh, progress, right? Where it's, it starts out like it's all of self and none of God. And then at the end of it, it's none of self and all of God. Where are you in that when it comes to your life and your heart? Are you, are you trusting all the way on God? Are you leaning a little bit on your, on your own understanding, on your own self? Now, I'm not saying that we are helpless people that can't lean at all on experience or anything like that. But what is shaping how we view those experiences and what is shaping what our, what our goal is and, and, our, and therefore our decision-making process? If it's God, then you can lean a little bit on your own understanding because God is what you're trusting fully in. But if you ever are trying to compare and you're thinking, but I know he says this, but I really think this. Here's a good example in our class today. It would be very easy for me because I felt this just within myself when we were studying uh, where it says that you, you give to the one that asks, to everyone that asks of you, everyone that begs of you. No, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so, so therefore, I'm gonna, that's going to reshape how I take the teaching from God. We can't do that. First comes the teaching of God, then comes, okay, now that I have that basis, now what does that look like in my life? What do my experiences teach me as long as it's first informed by, by what God says? Then he says that this is going to be a matter of the heart. He says in verse 5 that trust the Lord with all your heart. When he, when he says heart, he just doesn't mean only your emotions, but it is your emotions, but it's also your complete mind and your heart and every emotion. All that is given to the Lord. All of that is given over to him. Verse 6 we know we have to acknowledge God as the authority, that he is all wise, and that he is the one that we should defer to. Verse 9, I, I think it makes it pretty clear that, that when we honor God with our wealth and all of our first fruits of our produce go to him, that's just countercultural. That's not what our society teaches us, and that's not the mindset that most people are going to promote in your life. But that's exactly what we read here from this wise writer as he passes this on to his son. Our society's mindset is not going to lead us to God's ways because they're against 
what is natural for us, like wealth and work and even weariness. If you look at, at what he says in 9 through, 9 through 12, 9 through 11, really, I, I think that that's pretty clear. Those things aren't things that most people are going to say are true. But that's what this father does with his son. He says, this is true, and you need to lean on the Lord. Trust in the Lord, excuse me. All right, let's go over to Proverbs chapter 6. So just a couple pages, probably Proverbs 6. Let's read 20 through 23. This is also the father talking to his son. He says, My son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not your mother's teaching. Bind them on your heart always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you wake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching a light. And the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. I th- I've always kind of struggled with knowing for sure what this means um, especially verse 22, because I, I realize it's three different situations and three different like situations, even in day-to-day life. So for instance, uh, when you walk, they lead you. When you lie down, they watch over you. When you wake, they talk with you. So when I lie down, I don't really want anything watching over me. That's, that's kind of, uh, that makes me uncomfortable. When I awake, I don't want to talk with anyone really. Uh, William feels the very same way, and I, I know that. Our other roommate does not feel that way. He wants to talk right right when he wakes up. And uh, we both will stumble out of our perspective room, respective rooms and be like, uh, hey, you know, we don't want to talk. But you, you notice what is there to talk with you. And, and not even in a way where it's like um, forcing you to talk back, but it, it is speaking to you. God is speaking to you through his commandments. They are there for you. His teachings, his understandings, they are there for you all the day. They're there while you're in the middle of something, when you have to make the decision. They're there for you at the end of the day when you're kind of just done and you're trying to just regroup. You know what's going to be there for you is God's instructions. You know what's going to be there for you in the morning when you don't want to think about anything? God's instructions to set you for the rest of the day, for the, for the whole day, I should say. And that's something that I think is, is very important, that the more we lean on the Lord, the more we trust in him, the more we are filled with his commandments, his teachings, his instructions, that helps us make good decisions. Because it's not within myself to make a good decision. And it's not within you. And it's not within your parents just by themselves. It's not within your government. It's not within your teachers. I mean, just whoever you might want to lean on, you need to understand that trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding or anyone else's understanding. Let's go over to Proverbs 16 real quick. We'll read a few verses from Proverbs 16. Proverbs 16 will begin in verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. You can determine your plans and your paths, but they're only established and good when the Lord is your focus. You can make plans all day long, and they will only be considered good and established and right when you've committed your work to the Lord. Now let's go down to verse 7. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Good decisions don't always benefit me now or benefit me how I want them to. 
He talks about peace with your enemies. He references less money, uh, a lack of self-focus, not thinking about myself. Your decisions, if they are based in the Lord, don't always mean that you are going to be benefited right now. Sometimes that means that you have to take a step back. You have to be the one that's defrauded. You have to be the one that feels weak. You have to be the one that feels like you're being overlooked. But that's what it means to commit our work to the Lord. Uh, Real quick, uh, just a bad example of maybe someone who didn't commit themselves to the Lord, that didn't trust in the Lord, but actually did lean on their own understanding. Remember the example of King Saul in 1 Samuel 13, where Samuel has not yet come so he can make the sacrifice, right? Um, we're not going to turn there and read the whole thing, but just a couple of things I wanted to point out is that Saul just examines and he, he says, we need to make a burnt offering. Like we have to do that because that's going to be the way that we actually are able to go out and be victorious. Like we got to have this. Samuel's not here by the appointed time, which if he just waited a little bit, like Samuel didn't say the actual time. He said the day and it was still that same day. So, but then he says that his, in his I guess, rebuttal back to Samuel when he's asked, what have you done? He says, I saw the people were scattering from me. So like, I saw that this was happening. This wasn't a good situation. I had to act. And then he goes on and he says um, that you did not come within the days appointed and the Philistines had mustered at Michmash. I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. All I wanted to do is seek the favor of the Lord because look what was around us. It was a good thing, right? But what determined whether it was a good decision or not? It's not what he observed, but it's rather what, what did the Lord say? What did this prophet of the Lord say? What were the instructions of God? If he had gone with that, he would have waited, and then he would have seen Samuel, and then things would have been fine. But he was impatient. He uh, allowed what he was seeing and, and what was around him to determine what was true and what was good rather than what he got from God. And I think that's how we can be as well. So first, don't lean on yourself. You need to trust in the Lord. He's going to be the one that dictates what a good decision is because only through him are you going to be able to determine what is good. All right, let's go on to to Romans chapter 8. So we're going to leave the Old Testament and go over to Romans, Romans chapter 8. And this is where we get the idea of being spirit-led and spirit-filled. So first, just to reiterate, first, we can't trust ourselves We can't trust our world. We can't trust those around us all the time to determine what is right or best. We've got to trust in God. So what happens once I start trusting in God, once I put my trust in him and and he is determining what's going on in my life? Let's read in Romans 8, beginning of verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. 
But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. First, he starts talking about this law of the spirit, how it's against sin and death, but only if you're in Christ. If you're in Christ, then this law of the spirit is against sin and death. He brings up the old law or the Mosaic law. There's this other law, and it gave clear and specific direction, but it was weakened through our flesh, through our sin. If you really think about it, if we, if we just had the old law, all the, and I'm not trying to negate Christ and what a sacrifice uh, means for us, but if, if we lived back then, before Christ came, and all we had was this Mosaic law, what, what decision do you have to make? Are you going to do it or not? <laughs> I mean, are you going to do this or do that? Um, now, were there times where you might have to take certain principles and apply them to other areas of life to make the best decision, to make the right decision? Probably. But it was so specific that I, I think that it was very easy for them. But they, it was weakened. The law was weakened because of our flesh. Now we are in Christ. Now do we have clear and specific instructions still? Yes and no, right? I think we do. But those clear and specific instructions are kind of meant to reflect even what the law did, which is show us about God, so that way it informs all decisions of our life. We know more about God. We know more about the principles that he operates under. We know more about Christ because we see his life. Now we can make decisions very easily until we're in the middle of making a decision, (laughs) until it's right in front of us. And that's when we start thinking, well, hang on. Now things have changed. That's what happened with Saul. We can't let that happen with us. A few things just to point out from Romans 8 as well, that the mind of the Spirit leads to living, living by the Spirit. But in, in 5 and 6, he actually says it the, the reverse way. Like I, I would just think oh, the mind of the Spirit leads to living by the Spirit because everything starts with their mind. But if you notice what he says in verse 6, set the mind on the flesh of death, but set the, set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And in verse 5, you just back up a little bit, that those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. So what it sounds like he's saying is that when we find life in the Spirit, it leads to a mind of the Spirit. And I think this is actually reflected in Ephesians 4, in, uh, around verse 23, where he talks about you cast off the old self, then you, re- you are renewed by the Spirit of your mind, and then you put on the new self. When we determine that our life is not going to be based on what, what I think or I'm not going to direct it anymore and that it's going to be Christ, it's going to be God, then I can actually have this renewed mind. I can have this mind of the Spirit and then I can actually put on the new way of life. It informs how we live now, which I thought it would be, I thought it would be the reverse. I would have thought that first you have to have the mind of the Spirit, then you can know how to live by the Spirit. But he actually says it's a different way. You find your life in the Spirit, and that leads to the mind of the Spirit. And did you notice in verse 6 that the same life and peace that is connected with the mind of the Spirit is the same thing that we saw in Proverbs chapter 3, that life and peace is found through God. Verse 11, life means that our way of life and purpose in our, life means our way of life and our purpose in our mortal bodies is changed. It it's, it's, looks different. And he brings up peace in verse 7 and peace means that there's no hostility towards god or even others in this mind that is set on the spirit it really sounds like it's the heart that is set on the lord in proverbs 3 
which tells me that really we have the same thing, the same way of determining what's right and wrong as they did back in the Old Testament, as they did before the Mosaic Law, as they did when they were under it, as they did in the days of Christ, and now as we are uh, on the side of the cross. We can set our mind on the Spirit just like they could set their heart on the Lord. So we can make good decisions. The Spirit is life because of righteousness, he says in verse 10. So that means our lives and decisions need to be determined by what is righteous. But sometimes it doesn't seem like it's that clear cut, right? Okay, I, if it's flesh versus spirit, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose what is of the spirit. If it's um, something that is good or bad based on like clear dis- instruction from God or the life of Christ, then okay, that, that, I got that. What about other things? You know, one of the things that came to my mind was that maybe, maybe Paul can be an example of this for us. In, in Philippians chapter 1, Paul talks about the fact that he was imprisoned. He talks about the great things that happened because he was imprisoned. And it's led to the spread of the gospel. It led to other Christians being encouraged and all of that. So you would think that his mindset would be, I need to always be in prison. Everywhere I go <laughs> needs to be where I am taken and I'm in prison. Because that's what leads to the spread of the gospel. But then in Acts 16, when he is actually in Galatia, do you remember in Acts 16 that the Spirit leads him to not teach in Asia, to actually go a different direction than what he wanted to, so he could go over Troas and then set sail to go over to Macedonia? Why would he not teach in Asia? Could it be that he was going to be taken and imprisoned, maybe killed? I don't, I don't know. The Spirit led him to do that, though. I bring that up just to say this, that... Um, just because something is true in a current situation doesn't mean it's always been true about everything in the past. And it doesn't mean it's always going to be true about everything in the future. We really need to lean on the Lord with every step of the way in order for us to know what the right decision is going to be. And it's going to look different from time to time. So, for instance, maybe you, um, maybe you are in a job that is just terrible and it's really taking you away from what you know you need to be doing. Okay, maybe that means you need to change your job. But maybe in a couple years, you're in a job that you just really hate, and you're like, I felt this before, I need to change a job. Maybe you need to suck it up a little bit, and you need to just not abandon something, not give up on something, just using that as, a, as an example. Or maybe when you're single and you have a job, you are able to spend a lot of time devoted to that job. I mean, you're able to work till 9, 10 o'clock at night, 11 even. You're able to just focus so much on what you're doing. Maybe you have two jobs. I don't know. But then when you have a family, are you, are you able to do that? Well, if you want to, you can't. This is what this worked out good for me in the past. I'm going to keep doing that. But, but what about your family? Like you have a couple kids now. Are you going to be able to do that? Should you do that? It's a different decision based on what's going on in your life, based on what's going to determine what is right. And really, I think one of the main things that, that we learned from Paul and from others in the New Testament is that being kingdom focused and what's and thinking about what's best for the gospel needs to really determine our decisions. And when I say what's best for the gospel, I, I mean what's going to be best for the gospel is in you fulfilling this gospel, you fulfilling the teaching of God, but also promoting and and um, teaching it in the spread of the gospel. That's something we get from from the New Testament as well, from people like Paul, from people like Peter, and from Jesus Himself. 
For the rest of our time, I want to go over to Luke chapter 14. This was probably the first passage that came to my mind when I started thinking about decisions. And so I decided I would just wait and bring it up at the end. Because I, I really think that this is the hardest text for me. Luke 14, let's begin in verse 28. Excuse me, 25. 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So just a little pause. <laughs> we, we're talking about decision-making as a disciple. If you fall in this category where you, you love them more than Christ, you, you prefer these other people, these other relationships, or even yourself over Christ, he says you cannot be his disciple. Now let's pick back up in 28. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. What are some things that we learn from this? First, if we're Christ, if we're following Christ, we've decided that nobody, no relationship, or even our own desires will have as big an impact on our lives as Jesus Christ. Also, we've decided that no other pursuit will mean as much as following Christ. And I think we get that in 27, but also in 33. The gospel informs every decision you make. Remember in Acts 6? where the, the apostles decide that, you know what, we, we don't need to leave the gospel to serve tables, to, to help with this issue of Hellenistic widows. They didn't have, they were being overlooked. Well, would it have been wrong for them to actually take charge of that situation and to worry about the delegation of funds to these, to these women, to these other people? It's not wrong, that's a good thing. But they say that it's not right to leave the gospel to do that. It's not right to leave the thing that they should be doing to do that other good thing. It's not a matter of, well, that's wrong now. It's a matter of, we shouldn't do that. Sometimes that's the decision we have to make. We can see that this is good and this is good. So what do I need to do? Or are you the only one that can do this other thing? Okay, do that thing and find someone else that can help with, with the other work. Are you best suited for that? Or has it been proven through time that this other person can't do this other thing? Well, you know what? Just kind of take charge of it. Just, just decide because you've, you know exactly what needs to be done and you know that both things are good. Hey, you know what, Richard? You're going to do this because that's just what makes sense. Now, I know that I, don't, I actually don't want to do this other thing, but you can't do this other thing. I just don't want to. I'm going to do that and you do this. I think that's how we're supposed to, to work and function in the church. So then, then in verse 28 through, through 33, but mainly 28 through 32, this is, this is where I think it really gets difficult. The first question that I think we have to ask in 28 through 30 is, can we finish what we've started? So when we're making a decision, when we're deciding, okay, I'm going to go down this path, am I, am I, am I really going to be able to go through that to the end? If not, then what's lacking? 
What, what am I missing? Now, a lot of times, I think we've t- we take this passage, or I have taken this passage, to talk about if you're going to decide to follow Jesus, you need to know, are you going to be able to make it to the end? And that's probably true. What about along the way? Like, are, are you going to be able to fulfill this obligation? How is that going to look when it comes to your faith? Is it going to hinder or hurt your faith? How is it going to look to fulfilling other responsibilities to your family, uh, to your church? Um, if you can't actually fulfill it, then you shouldn't start it. You shouldn't start it. Now that you're in Christ, now you're a disciple, that informs it. That, that, that dictates what you do or don't do. That dictates what you involve yourself in. I, I, would, be, uh, I, would, I would be totally uh, lying if I didn't say that I'm very good at doing what I just said not to do. <laughs> I mean, I'm really good at making commitments and then being like, ah, I thought I could, sorry. You know what, a, a disciple sits back and determines what do I need to do where should I put my, most of my effort, the, mo, the, the, the focus of my life, what, what do I need to be doing? And if it's not going to be where I can fulfill my obligation to the Lord, I don't need to start doing that other thing. The second question that we need to ask from 31 and 32 is, are you able to handle what's before you? How will fill in the blank affect your life in Christ? So, so you have this king that goes out, and he really should just sit back and think, am I going to win this war or not? Now, it's not a matter of like, well, if the Lord's on your side, you're going to win. That, that's not really part of this, I don't think. This is just, let's just look at the facts. Are you going to be able to win this war? If not, why don't you go make a treaty? Because that's not going to turn out good. Well, we got more heart. Well, he's got more men, you know, so you're, you're going to lose. Well, what about us in our life? So how about this? I, I know people that, uh, love playing rec league softball. Um, and that might sound like a ridiculous thing, but it's like, um, I mean, it's a lot of fun, but it might sound ridiculous <laughs> to some of you, but they just love doing that. And it's going to take up two nights of their week from like seven to nine thirty, or sometimes even later. It's going to be like from eight to 11. They're just tied up. Sorry, you're going to have to take care of the kids. I'm, I'm doing this thing. Now, am I going to pass actual judgment on them and say, that's a bad father? I'm not going to do that. But I'm saying, like, you got to think about what does this look like after a certain amount of months? What does this look like this time next year? Am I, am I getting more and more committed to this thing that's a softball team? Or am I getting more and more committed to the Lord, more and more committed to my family, fulfilling those obligations? Don't get in overhead. Don't make all these other commitments think, like, I can just do this and then I can do this. And not consider if you're actually able to, to win this. Not, not consider whether you're actually going to be losing out on other things. I think specifically, whatever we are taught to do or whatever we're taught to be in Christ, it has to be part and the major part of our decision-making process. For instance, we need to make commitments that are, that are good. We need to make sure that we are committing to our families, that we are good and hard workers, that we are the friends and neighbors that we need to be, that we are actually fulfilling our obligations even to our enemies, that we are doing what we need to do and fulfilling our obligations to our church family, that we are taking opportunities to teach and serve. We're doing all those things. But we actually need to sit back and make decisions based on fulfilling those roles the way we need to and not just saying, well, I can't do that right now. I have to do this. I, I, can't, I can't go and, and help serve in this way. I just can't do it. I, I got to do these other things because I want to do them. They fulfill me. 
Well, as we started from the very beginning, you're not, you're not really fit to determine what is going to be right. The Lord determines what's right. And if, he bases, and if you let that base everything else, then you will make the right decisions. So quickly, just with the, the time that, that we have left, this is the best way. I, I went through a list um, and I made, just made a list on this is the best way I know how we can make good decisions. And I don't know if these are in the best order, but maybe this would be helpful for you. The first thing we need to ask is, has God said anything about what is right in front of me? Or are there, are there principles from God that inform my thought process? If so, that decision becomes very easy. The next thing we need to do in order to actually help with the first thing is we need to read God's word. We need to research within scripture and see what does, what does God have to say about this more fully. And then we need to pray. We need to pray before we ask people what they think. And that's really hard for me. But we do need to ask people that we think are trustworthy. And we need to see what they think and what they would advise. We need to compare their thoughts to what God has already said, though. Is something they say just go right against what I just read? Well, if so, then I know, I know which way I'm going to go. I'm going to go with what the Lord says. We need to make a decision based on what is known and in the present, not on what is unknown or what might be to come. I think James teaches us that as well. And when and if things change, then okay, we make a different decision. But not if things just don't go our way. If things don't go our way, that doesn't determine it. It's like, do all these other factors, does what's right, does that look different now than what I thought it did? If so, that changes my decision. We need to be committed and firm in decisions no matter how rough things get. If it's something that we know that God would have us to do. If not, then maybe that changes our decision. And then the last thing is we need to realize that the impact that we can make if we make right decisions today, even if it really hurts. And the reason that comes up is, is 34 and 35 of Luke 14. Because right after he talks about this, the commitment we need to have, the, the cost of discipleship, as we say, he then says salt is good, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is of no use either for the soil or for the manure pile. It is thrown away. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. We need to listen to Jesus and make sure others know you take direction from him. We need to be the salt that he wants us to be. We need to know that we are worth something to God and that we will have an impact on others if you live how Christ directs you to live. But if you don't do that, then you've lost your saltiness. And you're not even good for the manure pile, he says. Well, that sounds pretty harsh. <laughs> that sounds terrible. He says you're of no use. It's just thrown away. A disciple that totally leaves the decision-making process, totally leaves Christ, is no longer a disciple. They're not salt. They're not light. They're not of no effect in this world the way Christ wants you to be. So make your decisions based on that. What is the impact Christ wants you to have in this world? What, what are the things that God has said about something? And, and I don't know if that means that you're going to leave here today and be like, whew, I tell you what, I got some big decisions right now. Maybe it is. But maybe it's just you're going to see that tomorrow. Maybe it's going to inform how you, what you decide to do with your money. Maybe it's going to change what you decide to do with your time. Maybe it's going to change the investment you make in certain relationships over others. All those things we need to evaluate. I hope these thoughts have been helpful and that if nothing else, that what we've been, been able to do is just take a look at the fact that 
we, we just can't be the ones that, that determine the decisions we make. We don't need to start with ourselves. We need to start with the Lord. Which kind of brings us full circle to really think about our life before God. If you're right before God right now, and you just know that, well, that, that, that's a really good thing. So now you can actually continue to live that way. But have you made the decision to follow the Lord? Have you made the decision to, that Christ is going to be first? It's not yourself. It's not your family. It's nobody else. That Jesus Christ is going to be the focal point of your life. If not, you need to make that decision. That, that is a good decision. Uh, and I think that I think we all can agree that would be a good decision. But that is hard. Um, turning our life over to God is difficult. Doing that in every step of our life is going to be just as hard, just as it was the very first time we decided to do that. So if you need help, if you need to ask some questions, if you need some advice, um, I think you're in a good place where you can ask people what they think. But the first thing you need to do is just ask a question, have I decided to follow Christ? Um, and that's a decision that, that I know 100% that we need to make. And if you haven't made that, you need to do that today. So um, if you decide you need to do something and you make a change, we are going to sing a song. Tim's going to lead us in one more song and talk to somebody during the song, talk to somebody afterwards. Uh, we can study and we can pray together. So appreciate it.